and gentlemen, this stage is set. The mics are on. It's not another fight cast time. With your hosts, fighting out of the blue corner. This man is a former fighter. The voice of Brave Combat Federation and Clan Wars MMA. The great and powerful Phil Campbell. Fighting out of the red corner. This man is a former fighter. And now one of the best coaches in mixed martial arts. The one and only Andy, the icon, Burroughs. Sir. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Not Another Fightcast. I am Andy the Icon Burroughs, and again, I am without my co-host, Mr. Phil Campbell. Phil is working himself sick at this moment in time. And he will definitely be back in the show very soon. Please go and give him a follow at PC underscore commentary on Instagram. Him and uh, another outstanding commentator, Noel Kiefer, doing some of the funniest uh, fight commentaries I've seen. Street fights, mad shit, birds fighting. It is wonderful. But I'm not alone today, which is wonderful for everybody out there listening to me. I am with one of Ireland's most prominent professional wrestlers. A guy who's competed in NXT UK. And a complete another legend of the wrestling game. I am with Mr. Paul Tucker Gallagher. Paul, how on earth are you? How are you, sir? All good? Brilliant. Really, really happy to have you on the show. Um, we said at the start, whenever our very first foray into podcasting, which is Phil and I said, that we wanted to make sure that we cover the gamut of, of what we describe as combat sports. And professional wrestling fits well into that. Um, yes, we all know it has a predetermined outcome, but... It is a very, very difficult business to be in. So with that said, Paul, how on earth did you find your way into professional wrestling? Um, pretty much, mate. Just never grew up. So as a, as a kid, that was always... I think I was maybe... I must have been eight or nine. And my, my big brother was actually into it. And I remember him showing me... It was like DX and Kane at the time. Mm-hmm. I, actually, Kane was my favourite wrestler when I was a kid. Right. Which is crazy because obviously it's pretty crazy. I'm like five foot and Kane's like ten foot, you know what I mean? Um yeah. I was looking at your bio, actually you and I are the same height. I've met somebody who's the same height as me, it's quite shocking. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's it. But um I just think from from the first time I seen it, it was just so bizarre. And I was a weird kid anyway, so it kind of fitted in with me. And then at that time, like wrestling was super over. And kind of super cool at times you were falling into the Attitude Era, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the Attitude Era was a weird time for wrestling. Um, we were talking yeah. about this off air. My introduction to professional wrestling was my own dad sending a hyperactive child down to watch World of Sport. Um, <laughs> and literally the first thing I saw was Fit Finley, um, what a phenomenal, phenomenally talented wrestler from our very own shore here. And that was me hooked. And as you say... I never grew up either. I don't think you're meant to grow up. I think growing up's a trap. I don't think you're supposed to grow yeah. up. Yeah. Everyone who grows up sad, man. They're not happy, so. Yeah, yeah they are. They're, you know, they're really, it's it's weird because we were, I was out for a very boring socially distanced coffee walk yesterday with two guys from Super Rad MMA, Jack Aaron Stoops and Mel Brown. Oh, and cool. uh, we were out and it ended up just as basically discussing our favourite WrestleMania. <laughs> so, as a, so as a walk along the towpath, three guys who probably should know better Discussing our favorite WrestleMania, the brilliant quality. Yeah. Wow. So you you uh, really saw Kane DX 
um, perform for WWF as it was in now WWE. Yeah. And then how how did you actually you know, from being a fan and then going into being a competitor? What was that? What was that like? How, what did that even look like for you? Um. So for me, I was always. The way it worked for me, like my brother and me were always at my granny's house anyway. Mm-hmm. We're always like beating the crap out of each other and throwing like power bombing each other on the sofas and all sorts of stuff. And then I think there was a day I was trying to do a flat elbow, but I wanted to go higher. So I climbed up on the cabinet. And then as I came off the cabinet, I took the light out and the whole light smashed all over the floor. Excellent. And then obviously there was a wee bit of, right, can't be doing this, can't be doing that. Um. And we just were always like at each other, like wrestling or watching wrestling or trying to, you know, innovate or create it. My brother kind of went the opposite direction. He would still like keep tabs on it. Like, he'll watch the Rumble and he'll watch Mania, mm-hmm. you know, like a casual sort of thing. And But he was a massive kind of Austin guy or rock guy or whatever, like back then. I think anybody who watched the Attitude Era, you couldn't not like Stone Cold. I know. Yeah. Even he describes it himself as basically he didn't have a lot of moves. He had like a right hand, a kick to the body, and a stunner. He didn't do a lot of the high flying moves. Um, but his personality just was, as you we read said earlier on, he was so over. And for anybody who doesn't really understand professional wrestling, the term over is used to be popular. And he yeah. was not over, he was over at fucking death. There wasn't a man alive on this planet who probably didn't know who Stone Cold Steve Austin was. Yeah. Hundred percent. It was like a cult icon, almost. You know. You know. Do you ever listen to his podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely tremendous, and he, he, you're right because he crossed over into Broken Skull Ranch. You ever watch Broken Skull Ranch as well? I've seen a few episodes. Yeah. So he's like crossed over like four different media. You know, wrestling personality, and then he's gone yeah. into you know audio media, and then now on to the Broken Skull Ranch. Still keeping the the podcast though. Because it is, it is absolutely outstanding. So you, yeah. you, you were basically then told off for smashing up the house, with dropping a, a Randy Savage style elbow off the top of a cabinet. That's it. So what age were you then? <laughs> uh, I think I was. I must have been ten or eleven then. So, but yeah, pretty much any time the granny nipped out to the shop, there was right here we go. Let's see what we can try out here. You know. So how did you, did you form formality of, of professional wrestling training? I know whenever I was younger, it, it really wasn't around. There was no formality to professional wrestling. How did you find professional wrestling school to get trained? And what age did you start? Um, I think I started when I was 14 or so. Mm-hmm. And what happened was, I was at a house show in the Odyssey. I think actually, I want to say it was Lesnar Big Show in the main event atmosphere was wild like really really good and we came out of the odyssey i know you have the big green there yeah and there was a whole rake of lads on the green and obviously they were pretty solid for just random guys but then i later found out that it was like uh ucw at the time i don't know if you were around yeah for that. of course yeah and they ulster were ucw is ulster championship wrestling yeah yeah that's the yeah. one i think later became pro wrestling ulster Yep, that's a good, yeah, yeah. Yep. So they were actually out on the green, powerbombing each other and all sorts. And then everyone was like, what the hell are these guys at? And then they had like a table set up and some guy went through the table, which was 
madness back then, do you know what I mean? And then I didn't really know them. I was just like, God, that's amazing. And after that, obviously, I would never promote this now, but after that, one of my best mates in school was well into it. And uh, I was like, these lads were just wrestling. Why don't we just wrestle at lunchtime, you know? So we started down wrestling at lunchtime and powerbombing them. He took her on to the recycling bins and all sorts of mad stuff. <laughs> it used to be in our school, there was a recycling bin in every corner. And they were all perfect except our one just sat like this. For me, <laughs> power bombs are doing swan ponds every day, you know. Madness. But, Absolutely uh, superb. Quality. Made for some good lunch times, you know. Yeah, guaranteed. Uh, makes well, makes good slightly more interesting. If you knew at lunchtime you're about to take a massive bump through every cycling bin. Yeah, yeah. We actually had one time in French. A teacher cleared the room and at this stage like a lot of people were kind of going up and watching us just a lot more just to laugh and go these guys have lost the plot and there was a a big piece of cardboard left in the room so we put it between two tables and my mate came over and hey i ate me fruit and then we got back in the seats as if nothing had happened that was pretty funny absolutely outstanding so you <laughs> obviously that was a very like informal introduction to what being creative as a as a performer as a wrestler was so, yeah so, and you said when you were 14 you watched these guys basically performing after a show on the, the green outside which is now the SSE arena in belfast um yeah how did you then find a club to go and train into so that was like that was a pretty mad one it was uh it was SummerSlam. i'm really bad with years but it was benoit versus orton for the world title i think mm -hmm. And my brother worked in Smith's toy, uh, Smith's toy stores at the time. And some random kid was buying a wrestling figure, actually. And he says, oh, my brother's really into the wrestling. He's staying up for SummerSlam tonight and all. And he was like, oh, I'm actually training to be a wrestler. And he was oh, what do you mean? He was on training in a place in the Krieger Road here to be a wrestler, blah, blah, blah. So then when he got down to the caravan, he was like, oh, this kid today was saying he's training to be a wrestler, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, right, that's it. So straight away, I was like, right, I have to do it, I have to do it. And said to my mum, and she was obviously, oh, I don't know if you really, I was like, no, just let me do it. And I think she was just like, well, it's going to save your granny's furniture a bit, so I'll let you have a go at it, you know what I mean? I actually then, remember that building that you're talking about. If, I remember where it was now. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's the uh, Craigie Community Centre. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was your first ever real formality? That was my first time ever training. So when I started, started out training, I think I was eight, something crazy, man. I was like eight stone three or four. And uh, so I was toady. And we walked in. And it was actually, obviously, my mom had to drive us down. It was me and my big mate, Chris. He was actually, I think he's like six, six now. He does, doesn't really do it now. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I remember her walking us in and there was just all these big jacked old dudes with beards. I was like, oh God. And uh, my mum just shouts over, excuse me, two boys here for the wrestling. And I was just like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was all done then on judo mats and then the ring would have went, the ring only went up basically once a month. Mm -hmm. You were learning your bumps and stuff on uh, the mats, which was pretty, uh, Come to Jesus meeting. For yeah, us, right? the now you're talking. You're not talking about a blue crash mat. You're talking about no. a tatami mat, basically a green yeah. 
sweat-filled, probably destroyed map that is there's not a lot of give in that. Yeah. That's so obviously you do your first bump and you're like, Ooh. I actually remember when I took my first sort of bump, I kind of swung my head back and put my arms out and just landed all over back and back of the head. And I was like, oh, shit. And I'm like, you okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm fine, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I heard it all. <laughs> inside, you're crying inside. Yeah. No, that, that is pretty amazing. So who were the coaches there? Or was there any real standout guy or girl who was – you know, this is what we're doing tonight, guys. Here's a progress map or whatever that we're going to end up looking at. Um, so back then, training was a bit, it was pretty mad. Sometimes it was good, though. So it was like, you would end up running for the first half an hour just outside, like doing laps. Mm-hmm. And then at the time, Bonesaw was actually the trainer. He was one of yeah. the first trainers. He and now then, competes still in Over the Top. Yeah, with Kings of the North, yeah. Corbin and stuff. And yeah. then... The other trainer would have been Duncan Disorderly, who was kind of in the Kings of the North for quite a yeah. while as well. Is he retired now? Yeah, yeah, he he's kind of retired. He's been back for a few like charity gigs or rest of my A's now and again, but mm-hmm. like he's pretty much sort of done with it. Yeah. So those were the two guys then who were your formative coaches. They were the guys who yeah. were like, here's how we're going to work. What was the first thing? You know, obviously taking a bump. Um, for anybody who, who isn't into professional wrestling, who doesn't really know what that means, taking a bump is is realistically being the victim in a move, either yeah. a slam or what now has come to look like a finishing maneuver. Um, that is a skill in itself. It's not even a skill. It's a learned behavior. It's fucking terrifying yeah. for most people. So was that the first thing that you really were shown how to do, was to take a bump correctly or... Um, there is, I think the thing is, there is a, it mightn't be a correct way. We learned how to lock up and do like basic holds, like mm-hmm. chain stuff. And yeah. then I think we finished the session out with learning how to bump. So and it's kind of one of those things. Like, the, I even say it now when I'm coaching because I'll see somebody coming in and taking their first bump, and you can see in their head whether they're going to be back that following week or not. You can see in their face. Yeah. And I'll always say, look, this is going to feel horrendous the first time you do it, but just give it a chance. But mm-hmm. people are a little luckier now because at least they get to learn in the ring and most places they'll have a crash mat and stuff to get your confidence first, you know what I mean? Whereas back then you didn't really have that luxury. Oh, no. Well, judging by basically a sweat-filled tatami mat that has yeah. been overused to death and is now possibly the width of a cigarette paper or a pube, taking a bump <laughs> on that is compared to taking a bump on a crash mat must be like landing on a pillow of air. Yeah. So you, your first introduction was basically just the, the collar and elbow tie-up, um, then straight into what, what's described as chain wrestling. And chain wrestling exists in, in freestyle, it exists in yeah. or roman it exists in, in amateur wrestling, collegiate wrestling, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. But it also exists in professional wrestling. And that's a 50% work rate of exchange of holds learning. Yeah. Hold the hold. flow of what a match looks like. Yeah. I think we, we basically did like a wrist lock, a counter to a wrist lock, a hammer lock, a counter to a hammer lock, and then a headlock and a counter to a headlock. That was the basis of it anyway. Yeah. And then a and lot of rolling and then eventually your bumps. Yeah. That, it's, it's kind of how I would imagine that to go. I, I was very lucky. I went up and watched some of the of the guys in Titanic training. It was uh, JDP. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's an enormous man. 
<laughs> he's an absolutely enormous. He's so nice that he's literally one of the nicest dudes you meet. Um, but watch some of it, and that's how they that was sort of constructed for them. There was a lot of running the ring, running the ropes, yeah. um, getting that right, and then uh, a lot of as you made the point of chain wrestling, working from collar and elbow into different counters, counter to counter, and then they went into practicing a bump, and then it was a construction of a match of. of now, that was, you know, they were given like six, seven minutes between them to construct the match, which was very impressive yeah. to actually watch people being that creative. How, how long was it before then that you were sort of, not thrown to the wolves, but allowed to, to be creative and, and construct your own match within that? Um, so at the time, me and Chris, I don't know, like way, way back, I used to wrestle in a tag team called the Outsiders, but that's going mm-hmm. pretty far back. And we were, because we were kind of like kiddish, mm-hmm. it was the only way of getting us on the shows. So they basically dressed us up as two chavs and we came out with the bottles of cider and stuff with yeah. the Burberry caps. Mm-hmm. And uh, something had happened. So they were like, look, we're going to give you a slot in the rumble at our next show. Because it was me and Chris had kind of been working. We were the top kind of top two trainees eventually after mm-hmm. this was about a year in the training. And they were like, we're going to call you Jaunty and Tucker. And I was like, right, okay. And like, the thing then was, you didn't really care what you were doing. As long as you were getting on a show, that's all you cared about, you know. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of watching from the back. I was absolutely shitting myself. Even though it was just a rumble spot, I was still like, this is what we've been working for. It needs to be good. And uh, I had like some family and friends and stuff there. And we were literally supposed to go out, do one spot in that rumble, get turfed, and that was us. Mm-hmm. And the first, I think, the last two matches on the card, there was two injuries. So one guy was in a hardcore match. He took like a Tazplex, but he landed on his thumb. Completely oh. dislocated it. And then the other match, they were doing like the, do you remember head cheese back in the day? No? Yes. They used to do like the waist lock hold into the leg drop from the top. Yeah. So the guy... Did the leg drop from the top, but he completely crushed the other dude's diaphragm, so he had to get rushed to the hospital. So then they came to us and were like, right, you're going to have to go out in the rumble on three different occasions here because we've lost two lads. And we're like, oh, fuck. We thought we had our stuff down, and now we don't. And now we're really panicking, and everybody's getting hurt. So then uh, we came out. And you, like at that time, you never really knew how they were going to react, were they going to be... Like, oh, God, what are these two kids doing here? Why are they on this show? But kind of thankfully, when we came out, the place went mental because they found this hilarious. Two Belfast chavs. Yeah. And then they rumble. Like, it's always going to be a good reaction. Of course it is. And uh, it, I'll never forget it. I was just like, holy shit, this is, this is mental. So we got into the ring. We'd done our part. And whenever we got uh, taken out of the rumble, the place was going crazy, booing like mad. So then we got to the back and uh, who was constructing it at the time. It was actually Stevie Shaker at the time. I don't know if you remember him. No, I don't remember Stevie. Stevie Shaker, the baby maker. That was his uh, his Like thing. me. Yes, I do now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a character, man. He uh, came up to us and he was like, boys, you're going to have to go out another two times, but it's the best thing that could happen. He's like, that reaction was ridiculous. When you just go out again, it's going to be crazy. Yeah. So then we ended up there was a couple of lads in the back and they were like, listen, why don't you just eliminate us? Because they were like 
good two good hands it was like Sanchez and uh, Scott at the time who was wrestling as Takahiro Fujinami I think at the time mm-hmm. so we did like a, you know Kobe Kingston's gimmick The Trouble in Paradise oh, yeah one. yeah so basically we like ducked two lines they kind of held onto the ropes and then we hit that like in stereo those two kind of took the backwards spill out and the place went mental and then we got took out again and then obviously the place went mental again and then the third time went out was just flipping me. I thought at the time they might be bored of us by the third time, but we would just really got ourselves super over somehow in that kind of short space of time. And it was great because it was so organic because it wasn't planned as such. Yeah, it's not. It's because one of those crazy nights. You know what it's I mean? not contrived. It's just something that happened. Yeah. I think the last time I went out, it took like a, a gorilla. Because obviously I was eight stone and guys were like, oh, I could gorilla press you. You know, <laughs> yeah. So I took like a gorilla press out and Angle landed in like the fourth row. Brilliant. And my mom was freaking out, obviously, because she had never been to a show. And then uh, everyone had been getting hurt, obviously, before our match, so she was stressed to the nines. But um, everything worked out really, really well, actually. We we're that really happy like that Absolutely way. outstanding experience. Yeah, that was awesome. It's one of those ones I'll never forget it. No, you'll ne- you know, you're never ever going to forget that. It just sounds like one of those times where you couldn't have even written something as cool as that mm. happened to you. That was ridiculous. So, so funny. It's not your first great to like, think back on, you know. Oh, totally. Like, I mean, for you especially, for somebody who's going on to compete in NXT, and your first time in NXT was a, was a, it was actually a top of the bill spot, wasn't it? Yeah, that was so, I mean, as well. Yeah, so you're if you're pinning this on to as as good, if not better than top of the bill spot on NXT UK, you can see that it, it meant a great deal to you. I'll never something like that will never leave you, and nor should it. It shouldn't leave yeah. you. This is up with you forever. So once you, as you say, you were only eight stone, young guy, sixteen years old. Yeah. After. Three spots in a, in a rumble. And um, where was that held? Was that in the rugby club? That was in the Welly Park, actually. Welly Park. Well, yeah. Welly Park Hotel, yeah. Um, um, it's a good introduction for your first ever experience of, as being a professional wrestler. Yeah, definitely. So you, definitely. you continued then training with those guys for a lot, well, for a longer period of time. Yeah. Um, so being at Stone, 16 years old, did you then start to try and strive? You want to get bigger at that stage. Yeah. Professional wrestling, the kind of it wasn't like the eighties or the seventies or sixties when a wrestler kind of looked like an average guy. There were people, obviously, who stood out. Um, yeah, but the wrestler looked like a kind of like an average guy, and they always had, in their terminology, a shoot background. Somebody who could legitimately compete in a combat sport or a fight. Yeah. Um, but in the era that you started to watch wrestling in and grew up with, the guys looked like cartoon characters. You had no, they're mad. Really? Oh my god, Triple H! I, I, we were talking about this yesterday. Um, as I say with Jack and Mel, I used to work in a gym in Belfast, and it was WWE show, and all the guys trained in the gym. And yeah, meet the Undertaker. He was an enormous, gigantic human being, but Triple H was like a fucking wall. That's the only way. Ah, uh, based. He was so, his back was, like, I, I, he couldn't have got through that door without turning sideways. He was ridiculous. And that, and that was a guy that sort of stuck, stood out more for me. kind of knew the Undertaker's a big man. But when you see somebody yeah. like Triple H, he's six foot two, three, just like this wall of a humanity, you know, 
Yeah. How, how did you then think, fuck, I'm going to have to put on weight now. I'm going to have to, you know, try and elevate myself a bit physically. So the guy, uh, Duncan, was like a PT at the time. He's he was really good at the time. What's that, sorry? He was in Lloyd's at the time, I think. Yeah. He yeah, was in Lloyd's at the same time I was in, and that's how I kind of knew of him. So he, he basically sat us down and was like, and the thing back then was like you were just told how it was. You know, things are a lot more sugar coated nowadays just because of the way society has kind of become. Mm-hmm. But it was like, listen, if you want to be a wrestler, better start busting your ass in the gym because we're not putting you on a show if you look like shit. That was pretty much the the two cents of it. So then I was like, right, I need to get to a gym, and then I joined the wee gym down in Beaver, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I was doing, well, then I went in to do my fitness instructor because in my head I was like, well, if I can't just go and be a wrestler full time, what's the closest thing to it? It's like, right, if I, if I know what I'm doing in the gym, then obviously I'm going to be able to get myself in some sort of shape. Yeah. And then like did my fitness instructors and then I ended up working in Beaver. Then I did my work experience there and ended up getting on really well. And there was a guy there, Graham Hill. I know Graham very was, well. Oh, yeah. No, Graham, really, really well. Graham used to so gym three years ago. Yeah, great lad. And he was like a really good boxer back in his day as well. And he was the first guy to kind of introduce me to actual training. You know what I mean? Because like, when you were, when I was 16, I was just walking about and like, oh, I'll do a few curls here and I'll, you know, try and do a few chin-ups here. And then I'll T-shirt go T-shirt muscle. Huh? Get the T-shirt muscle. Yeah, pretty much. So then he would like, talk to me and show me these like flex magazines and muscle and fitness and he was like today we're going to do this workout with you and I'd be on shift with him but he was like look stay out here for an hour before you go home trail train you and geez man still to this day I think some of the best workouts I ever had was him just nailing me like you know what I mean just beating Brilliant. shit out of me but it was great and then um, I wonder if still in the industry is he? He still does a bit of pad work and stuff with people around mm-hmm. here he um had I'll bump into him now and again, like and mm-hmm. then I can't even tell you if you ever speak to him. He used to spot me for two five kg dumbbells and I was struggling. Brilliant. You know what I mean? It's mental. That's yeah. mental. And then like we worked together for about five or six years and then he was away and then he was back again. And he used to always take someone around and say, Look, there was like an incline press machine in there and it was an absolute smashing machine. And back in the day, I couldn't even put a plate on it. I couldn't even lift one plate on it. And then whenever he was leaving, I was stacking it for like eight or nine reps. Brilliant. And he would always tell people, he'd be like, look, I know you feel like you're not strong now, but this is the way he was. And yeah. he goes, I used to genuinely spot him a thousand. People would have kind of went, and then I would say, no, seriously. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't even be able to lift one plate on that. But he was a beast. Like, he just had such a good mentality when he was training. And then I think yeah. I kind of... When I watched him train, I was like, that's the way I want to train. That's how I want to do it, you know what I mean? Because he was just pouring sweat and he was pumping and eyes. He was jacked back in his day as well. He, he was yeah, he really was. I remember training with Graham years and years ago. Um, he came <coughs> up and did a few classes, mixed martial arts training with us a long, long time ago. And that's how I got to meet Graham. And then I think it's just, he was, he was working in the gym at the time, you know, so... That's yeah, similar era. So I remember Graham back in those days as well. Good for him. I'm glad to hear he's actually still knocking about the industry. So it's nice to hear that people. Oh, well, he's similar age to me. Maybe a year younger, two years younger than me. It's nice yeah. to see people of our era still in the industry and still passing on some sort of knowledge. 
Yeah, because me and him always got on great because he was big in the UFC before it was like mainstream and I was yeah. the same. So like when it was like Ken and Tito and all those boys running about. Yeah. But now obviously everybody, everybody you know, knows UFC now because yeah, of McGregor. because of that. I was I nearly cursed there about him because of that guy, Conor McGregor, everybody loves so much. <laughs> uh, so actually, go on, go on, talk a wee bit about mixed martial arts. You, obviously, you were training with Graham. Graham was training with us at the time, fringe in a fringe way. Um, that would have been around two thousand, actually. That would have been yeah, around, yeah, it would have been around two thousand. So by yeah, by then I had a couple of fights. So did you ever think of you know I'm gonna have a go at this? Would I could try? Would you ever have thought okay, I want to try MMA? Oh, uh, big time! I had like a massive phase where I was kind of burnt. I was burned out wrestling just more so with the scene over here because it was so, not so much Ireland, but this kind of side of the border for a long time was just so messed up and so political. Fractious. Uh, it was just horrible. And I was trying to, the problem was because I had done the WWE run, everybody wanted you to coach their, their school and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And they would be kind of trying to pull you one way and get you to do this and get involved with all the bullshit. And for me, I was like, look, I love wrestling. It's amazing. It's, and I tell these kids all the time, it's the best thing you'll ever do but just stay away from the drama of it because it'll ruin it for you yeah and that's again like i mean there's there's problems in every sport like that but uh there was a point where i was just i love you i, I still do this day i think ufc is doing wwe battling wwe is because their packages and their build-ups are unbelievable they, they've quite clearly um i'm picking in the ufc here they've very very clearly stolen Hundred percent, huge amount. In fact, I'll give you an example of how I, I can prove to you that they have stolen from WWE. They even yeah. named pay per view Bad Blood. Yeah, yeah. really? Come Same. on, the fuck! They went through that era of, of naming pay per views before Dana White. I think it would be called out on Dana. Was like, oh, we'll just number them now, and now they've just become numbers. Whereas yeah. like, Bad Blood, Vengeance, all these names. I've heard this somewhere before. Some other promotion. And they did the ramp. Do you remember the ramp? The yeah, you watched yeah, yeah, yeah. Ortiz's entrance, and then you watch Shawn Michaels' entrance with the pyrotechnics. You're like, you fucking nick that every way, you know. So, hundred percent. I love that. I love. I think that should be yeah. part of professional mixed martial arts. UFC have gone away from that. They've gone to the floor walk-ins, um, yeah. coming through the crowd. I'm not a big fan of that. I think fighters deserve a wee bit more of a of a build-up. Yeah. Um, Bellator, on the other hand, I really like. I was gonna say, I really like Bellator's entrance. Bellator, on the other hand, have done it. Bellator in Dublin. Um, I was uh, coaching Dan Alenjak. We won Alenjak. He fought Kiefer Crosby. Oh, cool. Um, the the ramp walk down, naming lights, the boom, the yeah. music, everything is done to a t- Literally, that's one of the very few times as a coach I couldn't hear. I'm partially deaf in one ear, but I couldn't mm. hear a fucking thing. Whenever Dan walked to the cage, it was boo. The, the amount of noise, the heat that he generated was like nuclear. Amazing. Great. Yeah. And then when Kiefer came to the, the, the ring, it just exploded. This was live on Sky. This just exploded, this noise. And Dan was like literally a, a wire fence away from me. And we had yeah. to shout. It was so crazy. But a fantastic. Bellator did, I think, better than the UFC with the ramp, the razzmatazz and music, the lights. KSW. You seen any of that stuff? I have heard a lot about it. I haven't seen much of it though. Polish really promotion, good. fucking great. Norman Park from here is KSW. Oh yeah, yeah. Looks like he's fighting Tess Gamro again. Uh, so 
uh, that they do the build up wonderfully. Of Maris puts in a former five time world's strongest man, all Class. Like, he's nearly 50 and he's still knocking dudes dead. So it's a, yeah. it's a good way, I think, of being. So, you, did you ever do any MMA training or did you just sort of go, mm, I could have it? I did. I think I did like three or four weeks down in a place called Frames. Who with? Uh, I actually, tra- there was a guy, Stuart, that I used to peep a lot in. I kind of trained him when he was in Beaver Gym, just with all like plyos and busting mm-hmm. them kind of fitness-wise. And then he got really into it, and I ended up just going down for a few classes with him. And I loved it, to be honest. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the rolling because it was okay at the rolling, and I tapped a few boys on the first yeah. night. And thought that would have and then I got empty. <laughs> 2003? Uh, probably would have been around then, yeah. I would have been training there. Yeah. You, I, I would have been training there. It would have been a Wednesday night. Yes, I, I, I would have been there. I can't... I'm trying to think. I would have definitely been there. Yeah, you probably were, you know. Um, no, 100%. It definitely was because I hadn't... Comp- I didn't stop fighting MMA until 2005. So I had my last two or three fights while training from there. It was with Graham Keyes, who now runs Gracie Barra and I. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Frankie McConville, who, I don't think Frankie's coaching anymore, but there was there was some fucking murderous dudes in that gym yeah. at that point. There was, uh, do you remember Alan Manis, Northern Ireland goalkeeper training there as well? Yes. So it's similar I think era. He was there. He was there. The, yeah, sure. so, I mean, Alan and I would have trained quite a good lot together at the time. So, uh, yeah, you would have been, the, I would have been in the same gym as you just, yeah. Never even noticed. That's brilliant. So did you never think about just going, screw it, let's have a fight? I really, I was like in my head, I was like, I'd look, I was really enjoying it. And then my shifts got real weird and work. And then it was kind of like, oh, I'm going to do wrestling. This is the only, it was kind of like you get one day off. And the only day wrestling was on was like the Sunday. And I was like, oh, I kind of want to get the Sunday to do the wrestling. Yeah. And at that time, and of my life it was like wrestling was everything it, it, it was what I wanted to do but I did always miss that kind of aspect of it and the competitiveness of someone actually tapped me I was like I have to get him back like, yeah. I have to get him back you know what I mean I'd go home and think about it and freaking right next week I need to do this and be ready for this and but it was really cool like it was a really good experience down there as well like good bunch of lads Stuart oh, went on to do pretty well Stuart who, Cowden you remember him Stuart Cowden I know the name now. I'm trying to put a face to that He's got like a very, he would remind you of GSP physically, his physique. Mm-hmm. Lucky bastard. Yeah. Lucky bastard. <laughs> he was just, he just had these big massive hands and I think he, he fought at like one, I don't know, 150 or something, I can't remember. But he looked way bigger, you know what I mean? He was just one of those dudes. He was like a Neville who looks. Yeah. If you told me he was 200 pounds, I would believe you. you know yeah. Yeah. That was in an era I was sort of coming to the end of competing in MMA. I'd, I'd have done with it by then. I'd had enough. Um, probably similar to you with, at that stage with wrestling. You were just burnt yeah. out. Um, and so I, at that point, I'd sort of just resign myself to the fact I was going to have another couple of fights and call it quits. Um, but I loved that era. That was that was brilliant fun. That was a really good bunch of humans to be around at that point. It was yeah. a really good positive vibe in the gym too. Um, I always enjoyed Wednesdays and Saturdays in there. That was a uh, yeah. tough, tough training because a lot of the guys, the Thai boxers at the time, were going. You saw Jamie Crawford now coaching Langham Way Thai. You had Joe Armstrong who coaches up in FAI there still at the time. Both still competitive, beating the other fuck out of me. It was brutal. 
Yeah. Um, so that was brilliant. That's a very strange little link in between us. They probably trained yeah. together, most likely 100% trained together, and can't remember. That's what you get for concussions. Yeah, this is what happens. Oh, that's a joy, mate. That's a oh, joy. Totally. So you, you, you've obviously then you've built up, had your foray moving around and tried a few MMA classes. Um, you've put on a bit of weight. What size were you then? Back then, I would have probably been up to about, I'd say like 12 and a half-ish then, maybe 12. Like 75, 80 kilos, nearly. Yeah, the right. I think I was about 75 around then, yeah. actually. Yeah. And what, what was your next step then? So you were working quite a, quite a great deal. Um, I, I remember that sort of the Irish pro wrestling scene, sorry, Ulster pro wrestling scene become pretty fractious by then. Um, yeah, there was... I think I was 20, I must have been 21, and there was a big mad thing in work, that's how I remember it, because the AWR tours, did you ever go to them? No, I didn't get that, sadly. They were really good, so it was like, yeah, guys like Rob Van Dam and mm. Sabu and all these dudes, and for me, that was like a massive, massive deal, so I went to the boss at the time and said, oh, look, you know, this, this two-week tour, and I just want to take my two weeks holiday for this and I'm giving you five months notice. Mm. Oh, no, no, we don't have the staff to do that and blah, blah, blah. And it went on for about two or three weeks and I just kind of went, well, look, I won't be in on this date. Whatever you decide to do, you decide to do. Yeah. And then one of my mates, Mikey, actually, who worked down there, he was kind of gutted for me because he was one of those lads. He watched wrestling, kind of. You know, he wouldn't know who Austin was, obviously. And... He loved like Al Snow and all the all the big kind of characters. And again, he, he just watched it heavily when it was like an attitude there. He was a big WCW fan and stuff as well. So he would always just banter about random wrestling and stuff. And he'd be like, Oh, could you suplex him? You know, like that kind of a lot. And uh he rang me, answered the phone, I was like, Hello, hello. And then the next thing he blasted uh, uh Scooter Fire, my entrance fame down the phone. Brilliant. I was like, what the, what's going on here? And he was like, oh, mate, I'm going to work all your shifts because I want you to go and do this and I don't want you to get in shit for it. And I was like, mm. no, that was really cool. So um, I ended up kind of keeping the job then as well. But I was, I actually said to him, I was like, look, if you, I'm going to be doing it regardless because it was too big of a, too big of a gig for me to miss, you know? You know what? You... You would have done the right thing, and looking back on it, you know maybe I should have taken more chances and had the balls to take more chances too. But you, I mean, what's the worst you would have done? You would have lost a job in a gym. So fuck. Uh, at that point, yeah, the fitness industry was really booming in Northern Ireland. Um, nah, you would have been grand. any other gym at any stage, and yeah. we had. That's obviously why they didn't need the staff them because you can fill fucking positions. Because it was that. Yeah. There was a great turnover of fitness staff at the time, so you would have been fine. So well done for making that decision and. You then, was it a two-week tour you did with those guys? Yeah, so it was all over Ireland, that one, pretty much. And then I remember, I'm trying to think who, I did like a match with Chris Masters on that one. I did a oh, show brilliant. the day before. He was a monster man as well. Big, big Huge boy. creature. But he was lovely, really, really nice. Mm. Just super chilled out, real like stoner vibe kind of dude. Like, you know, really? Like what you would have got off him just the way is like, mannerisms and thing it was mm-hmm. just really chill just wouldn't have seen that from his, his no wwe persona or sorry wwf persona at the time was a master yeah. lock. Do you remember breaking the master lock yeah 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 great it was a cracking like, i really enjoyed that actually but he was great man he was really good and then he 
I tagged with him, I think. It was only really two nights straight, I think, with Tag, and he was like, man, your work's great, and everything you're doing's good, and uh, just enjoy this, and do this, and think about this, and blah, and it was really kind of stuff, like, working with those dudes, you pick up the small things, but it's the small things that make the big things mean more, you know? Yeah. So, on that tour, apart from Chris Masters, who else did you work with that you would have sort of that would stand out to the average guy or girl now? Um... I think one of the big names would have been Scotty T. Hardy on it. He did a seminar oh, yeah. with us, actually. He did a really, he did like a two day, two of the days he did like a seminar, basically. Mm-hmm. And ran over, like, Thai wrestling at the time. I was never really overly tuned on back then. And the way he broke stuff down was just quality, you know. I'm pretty simple and like really, that's how I'll coach as well. I'll make stuff as simple as possible. And he had a great way about him of kind of breaking stuff down, really understand. But he was he was the man, and he's he's so jacked now as well. He's like I haven't seen him since, but I did see Al Snow. Um, yeah, yeah. I worked, the fucking size of him. I worked Al Snow in uh, the Welly Park actually. Wasn't it? no, it was Europa. That's why it was Europa Hotel, and he was he was jacked to the nines. I love. <laughs> Very clear that he left the wellness program a long fucking time ago. Yeah. It was like a massive, massive learning one for me as well because he he came in, I think he'd had like a stinking flight and he was just not in good form. And I was like, oh, you know, you want to, what do you want to do? And yada, yada, yada. And he was like, I'll just see you in the ring. And I was like, oh, I'm doomed. <laughs> okay. And then I was like, uh, do you want to know any stuff that I do? And he goes, I've been doing this for years, kid. I've seen just about everything. Just do it. I'll be there for it. I'm like, oh, shit, okay. But then it ended up panning out to be one of probably my favorite matches because I was like, I was crapping myself. I was kind of, can't believe this guy isn't going to talk to me. I don't know. And then after, he was like, everything was great. Um, He popped me one point in the match, and I remember just like, I just smashed him. Like, I absolutely leveled him. And I think that was probably the best thing I could have done. Yeah, because he came back from somebody like that too. And he said to me, uh, he was like, you know, you caught me pretty good with that forearm. And I was like, oh yeah, I just thought that's how you were, how you were wanting to work. And then he kind of nodded and was like, all right. So he was pretty cool with me after that. I seen him a good few times in Scotland and stuff after that. And I think that was like just one of those things. It was like a respect earner, I guess, because mm-hmm. I was. 17, uh, 19, 20 at that time, maybe. But to be in the ring, he had a crack. And he, do you remember? Well, obviously, you do. You'll remember his WWE run initially with um, it was what, what was his first gimmick? It was really terrible, it was fucking awful. Um, uh, what did you call it? I can see it now, it was dreadful. And then they, they give him Al Snow just to give him his normal name, yeah. and then they give him the head character. Do you remember the head, yeah, head yeah, character? Yeah. We want hair that was superb, very clever. Amazing. Yeah. Um, he made that himself. Actually, I heard him talking about that. Um, he made that gimmick himself. It was a cracking idea. And then they, he was part of the job squad. Do you remember that inside joke? Yeah, 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 yeah. Blue Meanie and him and Stevie Richards and stuff like that. Class. That was a fucking that was such a anybody who kind of got wrestling at the time got the job squad. It was very ah, that was great. That was yeah, great. like that was the the whole twist on that was. At that time, they'd been bringing in pretty big names, and I was lucky enough to be the, the guy getting to work them. 
And yeah. before that, that wasn't really happening in Belfast. So the first one was Big Drew, actually. He was the first import that I got to work. Oh, now current WWE Universal Champion Drew McIntyre, an absolute yeah. fucking beast of a man. An absolute fucking ox. Uh, gent as well, man. Such really? a nice dude. He was at NCAA. So. He worked with us in seeing Championship Wrestling first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, big monster, but like big friendly giant as well. Really nice guy. Learned so much from him, and he was just super. Uh, he was just so approachable as well because that was my first time kind of dabbling, and he just kind of came out of WWE at the time. So I was like, I don't know if I can hang with these guys. And after he was like, Oh man, everything was great. All you need now is just to get your name out there and do this, that, and the other. And then I think I worked at Evan Bourne after him. So there were two. Oh, they were yeah, the three matches I ever had. Evan Airborne, do you remember? Oh, he was the man as well. And yeah. like, Drew and him, I'd be like, oh, what if I do this? And they were like, oh, they were as bad as me. They were like, oh, fuck, that's awesome. Let's do this. Yeah. And then we could do this and all that. So going from working those two and then Al Snow coming in and being like polar opposite, it was like, oh, because I was just expecting him to be like, yay, high five of me and wanting to smash it. And then uh, the great thing was, because obviously I, I was the champion then at the time, so it went over those two. And everybody in their head was like, well, obviously Al Snow's not going to win. Yeah. And uh, the Kings at the time were having like a bit of a feud with me. So they came out. I think I like suicide dive them, took them out, came back in. And Al Snow just smashes me with head for the finish, which was pretty cool in itself. I was going to say, that's perfect as it is, you know, getting <coughs> so, to be put, up, put down by one of the greatest gimmicks of the Attitude Era. It really yeah, did. Like, cool. It was... Like I'm smiling now thinking about that because it was such a fucked up gimmick that you never would have thought that would have got over and got over virtually instantaneously. But he wrote help me backwards on the head and spoke to it and yelled at it, had an argument with it and hit people with it. it was absolutely Al cool. Snow as well, for people who don't really know, he kind of has a legitimate ish, if that's even a word, background. He was Dan Severn's first corner man in the UFC. Oh man, that's cool. Yeah, I so that yeah, if you go back and watch Dan Severn's first ever real foray in the MMA world, Al Snow was his corner man. So they, yeah. were, all, they were all training together at the time because Severn really didn't have a great deal of uh, experience striking, but he had done a whole lot of professional wrestling with Al Snow. So they worked together for what they didn't know at the time was a legitimate combat sport. You know, they kind of... Yeah. Like a lot of people at the time were thinking, is this bullshit? Is this going to be bullshit? And it turns out no. And Severn then went on to become the, the legend of MMA and professional yeah. wrestling that he is to this very day. I actually met Dan Severn in Belfast. Really? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Fucking brilliant. One of my MMA heroes and professional wrestling favorites. He fought Colin Robinson, a guy from Balamina who fought in the UFC as well. He fought him yeah. on an MMA show by 2004 called Ultimate Fight Night in the Aruba Hotel. Yeah. Dan was one of the nicest dudes you could ever wish to meet. Really lovely, nice, again, gentle giants. I drove him to his hotel and he got into my car and the whole car just shifted to one side. We're like, oh, holy shit, he's fucking enormous. Such yeah. a nice dude. Such a nice guy. So. Oh, yeah, totally. You meet people like that, you're like, yeah, I'm kind of glad I met him. You say you shouldn't meet your heroes, but he was a really nice fella. Um, That's cool. Yeah, so you'd go on the tour, you work with like Drew McIntyre, current, who is our current, uh, the WWE current champion. 
you work with Al Snow in Belfast, you work with Evan Bourne, you've been in with some of, of the top guys of that era. Yeah. Um, how did the NXT thing come around? It, it was crazy, man. So um, I was sort of on a really good run at the time when I was, I kind of hit my stride and was loving wrestling again. And I always say this, I was kind of wrestling every weekend, but I was just taking it for granted. I was doing, OTT had just kicked off then, so I was doing like every OTT. And it, at the time, you just knew something was kind of happening there, like something was building. Like even mm-hmm. the first show was so good. And I think the last match I had for them before I got the injury was with Pete, Pete Dunn. It's still on their uh, OTT on demand. One, it's still up there, one of my favorite matches. Mm-hmm. And if you if you go back and watch that and look at Pete, he was so good, but his gear was so awful. You know what I mean? He just didn't know who he was at that point. Yeah. But then he, but if you look at him now, he's just kind of he's the complete package. Like you know what I mean? I guess he's the benchmark for the NXT UK lads as well. And now he's yeah. obviously main NXT, I guess. Yeah. Uh, a lot of those guys. So how? But for you, in essence, being a WWE guy, WWE fan as well. Yeah, somebody ringing you up to say, "Have you seen NXT? And would you like to be on it?" So what actually happened was, I worked. I worked a couple of matches randomly. I worked big demo years before in Bally Castle or uh, Killian Dane, sorry. Mm-hmm. And uh, me and him just got on so so well. It was a weird one because in Bally Castle nobody knew him, and then I anyone who comes in the door will always try and be like, "Oh, how's it going?" and make them feel. Mm-hmm sort of welcome, you know, and uh, I think he always said that meant so much to him, because I was like, oh man, how you doing? You want anything, yada yada, and then it ended up me and him were working each other, because the other guy, I think, no-showed that night. So I was like, oh, you're going to work demo? I was like, oh, happy days. And I actually had a cracking wee match, good chemistry and stuff, and then after he was like, oh mate, what's your, uh, what's your Twitter? I was like, ah, I don't have it. <laughs> And he, uh, his jaw hit the floor. Like, what do you mean? I was like, oh, I don't, I can't really, I can barely use this phone, mate. You know, I'm not really tech savvy. And he sort of started laughing. He was like, lad, sort yourself out, get yourself a Twitter account. Right, okay. No problems. We got myself a Twitter. I never, ever used it. I kind of just set it up to keep, like, the humor him, I guess. And then we kind of kept, we kept in touch. And I think... He was on a pretty mad run. He was doing really well. And then there was rumors out then that he was going to NXT. And he came over. It was supposed to be, I remember ICW done Belfast. Yes, indeed, yeah. So I was supposed to work that show, but I'd literally just tore my ACL and had the surgery. So I was out for 10 months, basically. And uh, the guy was, I was showing the guy who was doing the surgery, like what I would usually do. And, you know, will I be able to do this again? He was like, look, I don't know about backflips and all that stuff. And I'm sure you could get back in the ring, but it'll be very limited. And I kind of thought to myself, well, no, I know I'm about, I'll, I'll get back there again. So I got, uh, got the surgery anyway. So they basically clip the hamstring and tie your knee down and all that malarkey. You probably know plenty about injuries with the MMA guys anyway. Yeah, sadly. Um, all our lives, fucking injuries, please. <laughs> well, th- thankfully, I'm very lucky. I'm, I say I'm very, very lucky. I've had a couple of reconstructive hand operations and broken ribs, broken nose, God knows how many other injuries. I'm waiting for a hip replacement, a horrible back injury, but I've never fucked up my knee. 
My brother, on the other hand, has oh. fucked his knees into oblivion. They're just both shit. He's had operations yeah. on them both, you know, to have them reconstructed a few times. So I, not that I know of, but the knee seems yeah. to be... A, oh, it's a complicated sorry. joint anyway. It's a very, very complicated, very yeah. multifaceted movement-based joint that bears a huge amount of weight. And I've seen your in-ring style. That's going to take a lot of pounding and punishment. Yeah. Oh, sorry, mate. That's uh... not a word. It's cool. Um, so with oh, with something like that, coming back from a reconstruction or coming back yeah. from the use of basically your own body as a as a way of knitting your knee back together is is something pretty cool. So you, you had the surgery then, yeah. And the next right. move for you was hopefully or ICW as it was then, but you didn't get on the ICW show due to injury. Then the next so, thing. So after that, I was I was crushed because I always wanted to work for them, and then I came back after surgery and worked Corbin actually in the first match back. And it went really well, and it did stuff that it was like, I'm just going to do it out there. I'm not going to. Um, taking like a front bump was really scary for the first while because it was like, oh, God, I don't know. And then the following show, I think uh, the guy who was running shows at the time was Andy T. And he was like, look, Damo's over for the next show. But he says he's only coming over to work if he gets to work with you. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Awesome. So, um, and there was rumblings, I think. Everybody kind of knew he was going to NXT. Like, it was pretty much out there. And he came out, worked the match. And then, it's like, it's on YouTube somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, worked the match. Match went great. And he gets on the mic after. Now, this was not planned or mm-hmm. scripted, as far as I know, anyway. And he, he basically puts me over and kind of, he's like, I might be going places. Because the place starts chanting like NXT and Thank You Demo, because they figured it out. Yeah. And uh, he's like, I might be going places, kid, but I know you're going to be going places with me. He's like, you haven't missed a step. You've still got it, blah, blah, blah. And I remember literally nearly tearing up. I was like, oh. And I said to him after, I was like, don't. It's crazy. And uh, I think I always say this now, like I appreciated wrestling so much more after the surgery because I had got in the road of just taking it for granted and being away every weekend. Yeah. And then it reminded me of like, well, remember when you were wrestling once a month and that was a big deal? Do you know what I mean? So then when I did come back, I was hungry for it again. So as much as it sucked, I wouldn't have changed it. And then Damon was like, look, give me all your stuff. Give me all your info. I'm going to try and get you a couple of bookings in Scotland. I was like, oh, happy days. Brilliant. And then uh, I got an email. I was like, an email from WWE for a tryout. I was like, what? What on earth? And I showed it to my brother and I was like, Jane, this could be legit. And he goes, it looks really, he goes, it might not be, but it looks really good. So I was like, well, the only person I know who was in WWE at the time was Demo. And uh, I think the last time I'd seen him before this, we'd went on a night out to, what did you call it? El Divino, do you remember that? Is that still? Oh, yeah. It's, it's called something different now, but it's still the there. Ed. The Edge or something? I'm not sure. Yeah, but, I think uh, it was the Edge and then El Divino and that's something else. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, right, okay. Keeps changing gimmick. Yeah. But uh, we were going in there and he had, I think he had like a pair of night goddies on or something. And the guy was like, look, mate, unless you have a pair of boots. And he opened his wrestling bag and he goes, this is the only boots I have. And they were like, that's dead on. 
So there's a big demo on the dance floor and the wrestling based song cutting shapes. So it was great. But uh yeah, he then I messaged him and I was like, What do you think about this? Do you think it could be legit? And he messaged me back and he was like, Fucking right it is. He goes, Get yourself ready. I forwarded all your stuff and passed your C V on to them. So obviously they liked your stuff. And I was like, Oh, oh for it. right, okay. I think I had about a month and a half and two months to get ready, but I was kind of doing a lot of in ring stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. But I just kind of obviously stepped it up a bit then and kind of shark tanked myself. I was like, right, lads, I'm just going to stay in. Everybody get in and keep working me, working me, working me. Because the last thing I wanted to do was go to a tryout and struggle on something. Yeah, or to, or to fail in fitness. Um, that would be, yeah. you know, you might have all the in ring ability in the world. You might have the great mental intuition to be able to put spots together to work with anybody. But if you're not fit yeah. enough to do it, you, that just, nobody's interested. 100%. And then. It was after that, it was a little while after that, we went for the tryout, and then, and you probably hear this from everyone you speak to, but you just don't know. Like, it went great, everything we done was good, but it was like, well, everybody was quite good. You know, like, we didn't do anything that made me feel like it was stand out enough. Yeah. We were supposed to do um, extra work on Raw. It was supposed to be me, Jordan Dowlin, uh, they, they weren't actually going to use Tyler at the time, which is crazy because he looked too much like Jack Gallagher, and that was why when right. he started out. If you go back and yeah. watch him when he started out, uh, I think it was James Drake then instead, and somebody else. I think it was like a, a pretty big name was going to be in it. It might have been Neville. It was going to be like a five oh, man scramble. Yeah. Neville's now called the bastard in AEW. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and a he, fucking awesome talent. Oh, he's unreal, man. Unbelievable. Such a good lad as well. Such a good dude. I worked him in uh, Courage before it folded, and he was just so good to work with. He was, uh, when I did the tours as well, so I did like the, the house show in the Odyssey and the Dublin house shows, and he was on them. And it was him and Austin Aries was there at the time. I can't, I just, I'll never forget this conversation, because at that time I was like, right, I need to be 14 stone, I need to be 14 stones. So it was just eating and eating and eating and bulking and bulking and bulking. Like, if you go back and watch me in the tournament, the first one, you'll see, like, a massive difference in my physique. Yeah. So it was, like, probably bigger, but it was definitely, like, carrying way more body fat. And it was until he turned around and told me that he was lighter than me. I was like, what? What yeah. on earth? Like, this guy, he was running about with, like, a Juventus top on, and I swear you'd think he'd just put two balloons in the shoulders. And seeing, and seeing shape, like, and after that, I was like, right, that's it. I just want to get lean. Yeah, because it just transfers on TV. But you, so you imagine there was a shift as well um, in WWE at the time. In fact, in, in professional wrestling at the time, away from yeah. the gigantic guy, you had come out of. Yeah. You know, smaller guys had made success. You look at Bret Hart for a successful and inverted commas smaller guy. Well, Hart's not a small guy. He's huge. Um, he's he is enormous. He's yeah. fucking enormous. Is he? They call him he a, was on that AWR too, actually. It was like a farewell tour for him. And he is a he's a monster. Yeah. He's a monster. You know, he may be six foot one, six foot two, but he is shredded. He was a massive, yeah. massive guy. And you can tell yeah. how big he was when he stand beside somebody like Jim Neidhart, sadly no longer with us, who was another monster of the game. And yet yeah. Brett and him, yes, okay, Neidhart had a great deal of more body fat and weight. But Brett was fucking gigantic, huge chest, huge traps, huge shoulders. But the WWE at the time was working big dudes. You know, there was Sid, there was The Undertaker, 
you had obviously Big Show. All those guys were enormous. So they yeah. then went into like the smaller wrestler, and then as time went on, more the Ortons, the more ripped and shredded dudes that they had at the time. Yeah. So they, there was a shift into that athletic appearance, and, and I hate using the term legitimate because it's not really fair, and, and a more legitimate style. There was a high yeah. flying style, post Hardy era, where they, yeah. you know, and. Rey Mysterio, who I know how wonderful Rey Mysterio is, don't get me wrong, but he was never my style of wrestler. I didn't really like that Lucha style. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and there was a focus then on high flyers like him, but I, I think that a guy like you fitted that as, as a leaner, smaller, agile, could fly, could also work strong or stiff style wrestling. Yeah. You know, you fitted into that. And more than that, you fitted a British style of wrestling more than, than the US. Yeah. So with the guys like Regal too, um, did you have any input with with William Regal or Steve Regal? Yeah, I actually got on really well with him. So um, he did, uh, going back to that story, actually we were supposed to do that match on Raw and we did a seminar with Regal, but it wasn't physical. It was just, it was literally just him talking for two hours, but it was amazing. You know, you've learned so, so much. And... um, it was Laurinaitis actually came over during the thing. And you know when you kind of get that feeling of like, oh, something, something's up here. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody kind of looked at each other because he was like, oh, can I speak to you? And he came back. And the scene in Regal's face, he was just like, uh, lads, I need to have a word with you here. The match has been pulled in Spon Strowman to do another segment on Raw. And we were all just kind of like, but it still kind of worked out. It was just crushing because you were like, oh, because you'd been selected for that extra talent role. You thought you were going to get to actually mm-hmm. kind of perform or do something. And obviously in our heads, we're like, oh my God, we're going to be on Monday Night Raw here. Yeah. Fuck. And uh, just, it t- took the wind out of the sails. But he was so good in terms of, he was like, listen, opportunities come and go. They'll come again. Don't, walk around mad or don't get angry or don't kind of show that you're annoyed just still be positive and stuff so he was so good that way like you know he kind of understood that everybody would be kind of gutted but he knew what way to kind of talk to us to make us feel good again he was a very he he was a very underrated performer Um, oh man criminally underrated performer unbelievable you see even when he was explaining stuff to you we'd just be like your face needs to be like this and you'd be like (laughs) do you know what i mean yeah, and he uh, he said so many things in that that I still to this day when I'm coaching I'll say look this is one of the best things I've ever heard and uh, it goes back to like what you said at the start when you were talking about Austin and you're like oh Austin really had like if you think of the, the goats or the best of all time Austin has to be up there yeah uh, Triple H has to be up there Taker has to be up there um, it didn't do a lot of moves do you know what I mean is there persona yeah he really, I suppose Undertaker's transcended, what, 30 years now of wrestling? Really transcended yeah. five, six different eras. Um, Austin encapsulated one whole era. And Triple H, yeah. he encapsulated two eras, really. He kind of, he was able to attitude and now the more modern era of wrestling too. I mean, Triple H is still really, really relevant. As you point uh, out, they didn't need, they didn't need to do the high fly spots they were able yeah. to sell the crowd, sell themselves with psychology and make everything that they did fucking believable. Like you believe when Austin give you the two fingers that he fucking hated you. Yeah. 
that he hated the boss so much, you know. It's the same as Triple H. You know whenever he locked up the pedigree and he made the sign to the crowd, that, that was it. It was done. You know, yeah. that was such a believable finish. You know, you, you weren't going to get that from... I'm using Mysterio as a terrible example. This makes me sound like I hate Rey Mysterio. Um, but like the Mysterio 619, you're like, so, so what? You know? Yeah. And I, I know it's a, it, it is a screen. That's around the time again. Bradshaw as well in Mysterio. And I just didn't think that was believable. I just didn't think that was yeah. a believable I think um, the, thi- the thing that he actually said was, and I'll always, I'll, I'll give guys like five minutes and be like, right, Give me a five minute match and they'll try and pick twenty five minutes of stuff in the five minute match, you know what I mean? And then it just just goes to shit. It's lost. He sort of said he was like, just think of it like this. I don't think he used Austin stuff he used. I can't remember who he used as an example, but he was like, People don't care about the moves, they care about how you make them feel. And I was like, Bingo, that's pro wrestling one on one. That is. is so good. Yeah. And if you look at the Indies now sometimes, I'm just like I've got a headache watching this opening spot because there's so much going on. So much going on. I watched uh, we OTT and it was Damian Corbin and David Starr. Yeah. Outstanding. Utterly outstanding. Wasn't There was nothing that was too laboured. There wasn't immensely amount of crazy spots in it. You were in, engrossed in what was happening simply because yeah. of the way those two guys could perform. They were absolutely out of this world. They were brilliant. So that, that that's a very good point from Regal there about how, but even like you and I talking about wrestling now, you can tell there's bits that we're talking about that made us feel great at the time. Yeah, hundred you know, percent. A spot in a, in a match or a match in general for me, it was WrestleMania 13, Austin and uh, Bret Hart. I quit match. Yeah. With Shamrock as the referee, fucking amazing. That was great. See, even now, like exactly. How Jack was kind of shot rock, Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> like you get again tell that literally the first four rows of people would have tested positive for steroids because it oh, was man. Um, but it was they were that was a fantastic match. You know, the heart with a mask of uh, awesome with a mask of blood passing out of the sharpshooter. Fantastic. Yeah. Really immensely believable. Um, the animosity looked like it was real. There was an element of legitimacy with Shamrock leaving the UFC and, and following that. He fought in pride and everything. Obviously, he fought in pride. Yeah. Back to the balls and um, full of gear and nobody was to get tested. <laughs> fucking yeah. But that was a wild test, you know, of MMA and of, of wrestling. And so that's a, it's an interesting take on it. So you find out then that you're going to be taking on Tyler Bates in, in, a main event for your first yeah. foray in the NXT. That was that was crazy because the way they had sent so you basically got sent the bracket. And when I read the bracket I thought me and Tyler were opening the show. So that's just the way I looked at it. Yeah. Because you, you you guys were set up on the top left as you look at the screen. Yeah. And that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. So I just thought right we're opening the show. Sweet. Awesome. And then we got there and we kind of had like a meeting in the back and they were calling out the matches in order. And a few lads had kind of been pulled from TV, the dark match. So everyone was obviously sitting there going, oh God, I really... Not that, I mean, the dark match is still great and it's still good exposure, but obviously you want to be doing the TV and especially when you went away for like your family and your school are all expecting to be able to watch you mm-hmm. and your friends and stuff. So I was sitting there and the matches were getting called and I was like, oh man, why is my match not being called? 
and I went on and on. I felt like an hour, but it was like five minutes. I was sitting there. I remember just absolutely shit myself. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't even want to text my mom here and be like, oh, I've been cut from TV. I'm doing a dark match, and then they're like me an event, Tucker Tyler, and I just remember everybody just looked, and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it was um, it was it was phenomenal. Like one of the uh, whenever I was away doing all the NXT stuff, there was always stuff like that happening to me, and it almost became like a running rib. Like everybody would just come and ask me, like, what? Or they would actually come and ask Jordan because me and him always ended up rooming together, mm-hmm. and he was like, genuinely, look at the Irish. Everything went smooth. Like he came off the plane. He was like, I came off the plane, my bag was already there. It was good Perfect. to go. Yeah. You know, he was just her sitting pretty, like he was nailing it. And um, one of the best ones ever, and like he still, to this day, he still cracks up at it. It was, um, we were doing the, like getting our tests and stuff done for trades, like blood testing and stuff like that. And then we're having like meetings to find out what was actually going to happen in the tournament itself. So we didn't even know it was a tournament at that point. Nobody had a clue, and um, we went to the Intercontinental Hotel. Now, this is like a beast of a hotel, like a five-star one in London. And uh, we get down into the meeting part, and I was kind of like, why is everybody, you know, still got their cases in their bags? I was like two hours early. I'd went to the desk and explained, oh, I'm here with the WWE, and they're like, oh, you're not on the list. So I started panicking. And the girl goes, look, when they get here, they can sort it out. But if you want to give us your card, we'll not take any money, but we'll take a prepayment. And then we'll put it back on your card when they come and sort it. So I thought, right, I don't want to get myself settled. I want to get my stuff up into the room and I want to relax for a half hour. So, oh, sorry, buddy. I might have to move this down to the floor. Give me two seconds. But uh, so I was like, right, I'll relax for half an hour. I went up to this room. And uh, there was like a guy, you know, the, those hotels where the guy actually takes your bag, so it's like really yeah. fancy. Well, I'm not used to that, you know what I mean? So, Fuck, neither am I. I wish it was. Uh, this guy comes over. I'm just going to make this switch here on two seconds. Yeah, that's cool. Um, let's see if I get a plug. So then, this guy comes up. Yeah, I was, was sort of high on life at the time. There we go. Back there. That should be it now. Get this set up some sort of way. Might have to sit on the floor here. Oh, that's no problem. That might work there, actually. Sorry, this is the technical difficulties I told you. This is, this is it. The real life aspect of podcasting. This is how Joe Rogan fucking gets it done so well. There we go. Perfect. I saw, uh, we got to the, the hotel and then everybody started weighing in then maybe half an hour later. I was like, why is everybody carrying their cases around? This is crazy. And a guy turned around to me and goes, oh, this hotel's unreal. It'd be great if we're staying here, wouldn't it? And my heart sank. I was like, what do you mean? It was like a 20, I think it was like a 26 page email and I'd missed like the last page of it. So I was like, what, what do you mean? And he was like, uh, we're staying the Holiday Inn down the road. And I was like, Holy shit. <laughs> like, right, okay. And then the next thing, Brookside comes, he puts his arm around me. He's like, all right, son. And I was like, oh, all right. And he was like, all right, we're heading around here. He's like, have you got a bag? And I was like, uh, oh, it's already around there. You know, because I didn't want to say, oh, shit, I've turned up in this room. 
to my heart pound the man and I'm like, oh, I fucked everything up and I haven't even got there yet, you know what I mean? And at the time, me and Jordan were using the same girl for gear and he'd had like stuff made, but she gave it to me just in case it wasn't posted in time. So we get round and I'm sitting and I'm kind of sitting like, <sighs> heart racing and breathing heavy. My palms are sweaty. I don't even know what to do or what to say or how I'm going to get out of this. And Jordan turns to me and he goes, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, mate, all good. And he goes, don't panic, man. You've got this all day. You know, you're here for a reason. And I was like, mate, you don't understand. And he goes, I do, man. I know, I know how you're feeling. And he's way off the page. And he turns around to me and he goes, oh, have you got the, you got the trunks and stuff that Amy made? And I was like, uh, yeah, mate, I do. I was like, but they're in my room. And he goes, oh, sweet. Have you been to the hotel? What's it like? I was like, um, sort of, mate, I couldn't even speak. And he goes, are you okay? And I was like, no, nah, mate, I'm not. <laughs> and he goes, what's wrong? And I was like, I've checked into one of these rooms. And he goes, what? And I was like, I didn't realize we're staying in the other hotel. So he's just in a wrinkle and I'm freaking out. And then Regal, um, Regal kind of says, right, if you need to go and get your bags or get stuff from your cars, go and get it now. So I'm like, oh, sprint through the reception and ex- trying to explain to this guy what's going on. And he's kind of playing hardball with me. And it was like, a, I think it was like a 500 pound charge for this room. This room was immaculate. And I walked, I still have the video of it somewhere. And I walked into this room and I'm like whistling and singing and the TV's on the wall and you can control the bathtub from the outside wall. It was crazy. And uh, I get to the reception and explain to the guy, and eventually this girl comes over and goes, like, it's okay, go and get your stuff and come back down to refund me. But this whole time I'm looking around reception, making sure like Regal and all doesn't see me. So I pulled my bag out and the same guy who kind of greeted me whenever I went up, I was like, oh, hello, sir. Because I'd actually gave him a tenner, you know, because I was like, oh, buzzing, happy days and gave him the tip. But I'd, I'd seen him again. I was like, oh, no, this guy's going to try and take my bag. And he was like, oh, let me take it. And I was, <laughs> I was like, no, 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 like, I'll take it, it's okay. And he didn't really speak English, so he had no idea what I was saying. So eventually, this guy's put in my bag, and I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to think I'm some sort of mad diva, thinking I am somebody, having this guy carter my case around. So eventually, you get down to reception, and I'm trying to get the bag off. And I was like, please, please, just give me my bag. And I reach in the top pocket to give him another, like, I think, I thought it was a fiver. Works out, it's a 20, and I've already committed. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this guy absolutely loves me at this point. Hand it over to him. I'm actually, like I'm dripping sweat at this point. And eventually get back and I sit down and just take a big deep breath. And Jordan's like, "You okay?" And I was like, "Man, oh, that was tra- traumatic." And I felt the boys and all them. They were all popping like mad. But this kind of stuff, honestly, mate, you wouldn't have believed. Every time we were away, something like that was happening to me. Like. That's, I think that's part of the game. It has to be part of the game. Like, cause I mean, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And that life. You know you're traveling around so much so often if you didn't have travel stories like i've got loads of you know being yeah. in all parts different parts of the world um and there's all crazy bullshit mad stories that you have to tell but if you didn't have that those experiences are what makes those trips brilliant you know yes yeah. show and all the other stuff that goes over along with it is tremendous but it's the experience it's that little life snippet that you'll go yeah. oh, fuck. do you remember the time i thought i was standing up i'll get a dick out of this I love that. I, I love things. Yeah, it's so much better. We had um, we had Dean Almark over actually for a seminar not too long ago. Who was that? Sorry, um, uh, Dean Almark. 
he like wrestles mm. and like he's on check him out man he's unbelievable yeah. and see in terms of like technical he can do every style of wrestling but see his technical wrestling man it's genuinely the best best in the world potentially he's so yeah. good yeah um but such a nice guy and me and him kind of had it like he was doing extra work when i was doing my tryout and me and him just got on really well from then and then i ended up doing the all, nearly all-star camps if you've heard of those brown dixon's yes yeah. so i did the camps with him last summer and just brilliant crack man so you're doing three matches a day every day um just traveling around basically like the the holiday camps, yeah. I mean, and he was over for a seminar, and I was telling him all these stories, and he, he was like, "These are unbelievable!" And he was in tears, laughing. And he goes, "But you're stressing life anyway, because I need to get to the airport now, because I don't want to miss my flight or I don't want to lose my bag or whatever." You're right, mate. It is. It's all part of it. Like it, it is. It has to be part of that. So you then you've obviously you took took on Tyler Bate. You didn't get them. You didn't get the win on the night against Tyler Bate. Yeah. And then eventually you run a WWE NXT show here in Belfast. Yeah. And you came away with a victory on that night. Connors was it? Connors. Oh, that was the. It was actually uh, Raw. I think it was like WWE Raw. Yeah. And Connors were on the bill. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that must have been a phenomenal exactly. experience. That was unbelievable, man, because Joe was one of my best mates when I was out there as well. Yeah. So it was super cool to kind of get to do it with him. It was initially supposed to be me and Pete for the belt, because what they were going to do was have Pete wrestle, like the busy wrestle, the guy who was from, say, Belfast. It would have been me, and then it would have been him and Jordan in Dublin kind of thing. But I think they needed him. I think he was kind of heading up to the NXT main roster at that point. Yeah. You know, they were kind of testing the waters with him. So he'd been pulled for like something else in the States. And then I thought, oh, geez, am I not going to get the wrestle here? What's going to happen? And then it ended up me and Joe, which was great because we got on so, so well. Um, that was unreal, man. Like I'd say the Tyler match and that match are up there with my two favorite ever times in wrestling because my yeah. family and stuff came to the Odyssey one and they gave them like front row tickets and stuff and like looked after them so, so well. And the fact that I could look into the crowd and see, like, my mum was there. And then my best mate as a kid, he was kind of there. And he was mm. always the one going, oh, you should go, you'll go to WWE. And obviously, when someone says that to you and you're living in Belfast, you're like, ah, oh, come here. Like, it's, yeah. it's unattainable. But obviously now it's so, so different. So he was there. And uh, it was just really, really nice. Great experience, like, you know. Stuff and like we that. did the Odyssey a few times, but that was... I did the free arena twice and the Odyssey once at that point, but the first time I did the Odyssey, it was me and Jordan getting voiced by Strowman, basically. <laughs> so we just did like a running spot and then Strowman's yeah. music hit me, came out and destroyed us, basically. And talk about a big dude, man. He yeah, is okay. another dude who's, he's, he was a fringe strongman before his transition. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and when you think of somebody like that, how big he is, how athletically gifted for a big man he really oh, is. He was crazy. not even considered as, you know, a decent strongman. You know, when you think, oh, fuck, what are these creatures made of? You know, really? Yeah. It just shows you, you know, as a massive, oh. and you think of the other stronger men that have made their way through WWE in history, like it's Mark Henry. 
and then yeah. you obviously have uh, what do you call it? Swiss Superman. Ah, fuck. Ah, uh, Cesaro. Yeah. Cesaro yeah. is a fucking animal, an absolute beast of a human being. Lashley's yeah. another one. You look at Lashley as well. You know. And yet they are getting crushed by Braun Strowman would not be a great experience. Probably was a fantastic experience to go. Yeah. (laughs) He was actually a gentleman as well. Really, really nice guy. Like really nice guy. So from from then on you ended up with without really a continuation of your of your contract with NXT. Yeah. And you have now moved into into What's described as independent wrestling, and independent wrestling is basically just so, a wrestler that's out of contract with as an organization. Yeah, so I'll work pretty much. I'll do like England, quite a bit of Scotland, uh, Germany, France, France as well. Yeah, France is phenomenal, man. Like I do like a week lot. I started off about four, must be four years ago now. After the first tournament, they had invited me out for a week long camp of like coaching. Mm-hmm. Now, my friends is horrendous, but I do, like I sort of said, yeah, I really, really do enjoy the coaching side of it, and that was probably the best thing I've ever done. Like, that first one, I had to really think outside the box, because you couldn't just go, no, just put your hand here. Yeah. Or did it. Oh, Flip, how do I explain to someone who has no clue what I'm saying? And then those guys are just phenomenal. Like, there's so much kind of... The way that school's run, I'd say, is honestly the best school I've seen ever. Really? Such a tight wee bond and, like, the way it's treated. Like, you, in that school, you can't actually touch the title until you win it if you're part of that school. That's brilliant. And I think that's awesome. I like me. Yeah. And the kids are so respectful and even, like, the coaches and the trainers. And they treat me so, like, I get on so, so well with them. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And they're a lot of fun, too. It's nice to have that. I mean, that's a very nice thing. And it's it's somebody really paying you back yeah. for all the effort that you've put in, and I think people miss the miss the mark an awful lot with that. Um, that a coach now, still a competitive wrestler, you're only what thirty one now, thirty. Thirty now, yeah. Yeah, so you, you're really just about scratching the beginning of your athletic prime. You yeah, know, you still get five years, six years of properly without injury. Thank, let's hope yeah. you don't get an injury of really pushing to become a, a superb talent there's nothing wrong guys are continuing into the deep into their 50s now you know um, yeah so i'm hoping obviously that, that you will find a road back to some of the organizations aew 100 like aew signed anthony agogo do you know who that is is it a boxer yeah he was an olympic boxer for yeah massive um he's signed with aew although he has no professional wrestling experience crazy i yeah. say that the Tyson there the other day. Yeah, the uh, Jericho. Je- I fucking love Chris Jericho, by the way. But that was superb. Jericho oh, in general is right. just superb. It had Peter Belfort and Tyson together. Um, it, like, I mean, realistically, the scent of steroids in that ring would have been fucking unbelievable. Mandalone. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Tyson's obviously there must be something in the background here with Tyson. I don't think it'll be professional wrestling, but there is talk of him making a return to boxing, whether it be. Uh, yeah, I see him hitting the pads and stuff. He still I mean, looks like an apple. He does, and here's a view on it. As somebody who coaches boxers to a very good level and has boxed yeah. for uh, fucking more than half my life, I can tell you, I could have you looking like that on the pads in a matter of minutes. 
uh, it's videos. It it? Yeah, it, that's a snippet of, of a training camp. Mike Tyson, you have to remember, his last outing was getting knocked dead by a guy called Kevin McBride from Monaghan. Nah. You can't... Uh, you can't attach too much to that. He's 53 years old. If he does come back, I hope he fucking doesn't come back. Um, and I hope it's not bare knuckle boxing. Not because I don't like I knuckle. heard that. Yeah, jeez. I fucking love bare knuckle boxing. The last two guys on this show was Rico Bonbon Franco, the world bare knuckle champ, and Dean Smudger Smith, another fucking awesome bare knuckle fighter. So I love yeah. bare knuckle boxing. I just don't want to see Tyson being used as a, as a sort of circus freak in, in, yeah. in any aspect of combat sport. Um, but I also think he's too old. Um, I think it's crazy if he comes back, and I don't want to see it, but there's something there with him, um, whether whether it's just a promotional thing for somebody, yeah. but the, the spot in AEW is great. I watched that about three times this morning, actually, just because... Fast. And Chris Jericho, Justin Janel, is superb. Uh, is that on, isn't he? he so good. As an aside to that, before I, I let you go, have you watched any of the Dark Side of the Ring documentaries? I caught the Owen Hart one actually the other day. That's the first one I've seen. That's crazy. It, we were talking about this yesterday, as I said, with Jack and Melvin, super rad MMA. Um, holy fuck. How depressing. Yeah. Um, I've watched them all now. I've watched both series. Um, the Owen Hart one for me was specifically depressing because on the way down, as he was, I remember, I actually remember watching that show. And as he was yeah. fighting, thankfully I didn't see that, but. The referee was saying that one was shouting for him to get out of the way. Move. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's so, so sad. And the bit where they went up into the rafters and they looked down. Ah, it was awful. Oh, right? my God. My heart was in my mouth even just when I was on TV and they're, you know, yeah. crazy. Um, there's some very deeply, deeply troubling elements in some of those documentaries. The the one, uh, Road Warriors one, is, is difficult to watch. Um, the Chris oh, yeah. one is fucking horrific. Yeah. Horrific. You know, the, the murder of his wife and family left a Bible beside him and then hanged himself on his own waste machine. And how it's just yeah. terrifying how badly scarred as a person he was, you know, and the death of Eddie Guerrero leading into what happened with him was absolutely horrendous. But we had another aside as the wrestling, in my opinion, making a comeback. Yeah. Because we're seeing yeah. it more and more. Where can people find you now? You're you're coaching here in Belfast. What do you call the gym you're coaching in? I'm coaching now at Titanic Wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I'm over there coaching now. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Tucker underscore UKCT, and then the same on Instagram as well. Where where is the Titanic Wrestling coaching taking place? Over at Blackstaff Mill. So mm-hmm. just over to, uh, just off the Falls Road there in West Belfast. Yeah. I've actually... Oh, well. Yeah, we've seen it being That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. The, um, when that kind of opens up again, I don't really know. Yeah. So obviously the way things are. But, um, yeah, great kind of great wee vibe and good wee school and stuff. Good bunch of kids and things. So it's yeah. been fun I've only really been able to work with them now the last month or so two months and then obviously this is kind of sort of happening yeah. and I won the uh, I actually won the title in France there just before this all happened so oh, I always I always say uh, when I went to France that time it was like just as that kind of wrestling was getting a bit sore for me over here 
Mm-hmm. And I always say to them, I'm like, that reignited me as a wrestler and reminded me of all the good of it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Just like an awesome bunch. And that last match, like I sort of said to one of my mates, I was like, I think that last match I had in France is potentially the best match I've ever had against Tristan Archer. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully there'll be a link up for that soon. If there is, I'll shoot it to you guys. Yes, yeah, anyway. Senator, so we'll absolutely happily share that. Um, so yeah, if anybody hasn't noticed, we are nerdy pro wrestling fans and i think as you pointed out you're not you're not meant to grow up um i think you shouldn't grow up you should be watching professional wrestling um i consume a lot of professional wrestling books i'm sure you do as well um yeah yeah. the book by jim smallman called i'm sorry i love you about you know have you have you read it I haven't read that yet. No, no. His, I think it's the opening line of the book where he says, "Professional wrestling is the best thing in the world." He's fucking right. <laughs> He's very close to being right, you know. And he gives his reasoning behind that, and it's a cracking book. I, I would um, also just finish Diamond Dallas Page's book there, "The Undisputed Truth." I have that. I have. What's the other? Does he have two books? On the Unstoppable. On oh, positively Unstoppable. Yes, positively. That's the book I'm talking about. Yes, you know what I yeah. just said there. I just downloaded the Tyson documentary, which is Undisputed Truth. And um, positively, oh, yeah. un, positively Unstoppable is is DDP's book. It's brilliant. Absolutely. I have it. Actually, I need to read it. I actually have it. So he's an interesting dude as well. Really interesting dude. Great. Class, Great. Yeah. He's like five lifetimes. You know he's. He's a person who's lived five fucking lifetimes. Just a great, great story and how positive and how... Did even you see, see him on Rogan by chance? No? No, I didn't. Oh, man. Crazy. Joe Rogan breaks down, starts crying and stuff. It's amazing. Really? Oh, but that's the he one shows him. Jake Roberts and the other guy who learned how to walk again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I take it you've seen the Jake Roberts doco? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, that's, that's mental. So good, but just heavy, heavy stuff. It's again very depressing, quite difficult to watch in certain times. Yeah. In his book, he discusses um, both instances, both interactions with Jake Roberts about making Roberts come and live in his house and eat this food and, and reinvent yeah. himself. And he, he does the same thing with Scott Hall as well, two, two of the most talented professional wrestlers the world has ever seen, and how their lives just fucking crumble with drugs and travel and stress. and he has really reinvented yeah. them now, so it's a, a fantastic sort of inspirational sort of guy. Um, but as I said, Jim Smallman books superb too. But that line, professional wrestling is the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, he That's just, so true, especially when it's done right, man. You know, when it, when it's, it's, and he discusses about when it's done right, and you talk about um, his Meltzer gives out the fact the stars for the matches. You know, yeah. Um, I think there's only ever been two six-star matches and they were like Akata and Kenny Omega, both of them, in Japan. Yeah. And it's understandable if you ever watch any of the stuff from Japan's fucking insane. Those two were That's amazing. That's crazy, yeah. Uh, so people can find you on Instagram and Twitter. What's your handles again? Because I talk shit over the top of it. We've got Tucker. No, you're okay. again. Um, at Tucker underscore UKCT uh, for both Instagram and Twitter, actually. So. Brilliant. Listen... Is there anybody you want to give a shout out to before I ask you a couple of final questions? Um, I suppose we've already plugged Titanic Wrestling, so hopefully all being well, I will see them guys soon. And at I a catch, I guess that's my wee school in France as well. So brilliant. So is your longest, yeah, long, longest reigning champ of all time in France, but it looks like you can't get back anywhere <laughs> near it. Um, before, before I let you go, ask these questions to everybody. First of all, are you a gamer? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so my missus actually got me a VR there for my birthday. Oh, wonderful. Unbelievable. Um, I don't know if you ever seen the video of me doing VR at Cityside, Yorkgate. No. no. It like near enough went viral, so I'll definitely I'll send that to you. Yeah, send that to me. Yeah, so if uh, being a gamer, then you'll understand this next question. Tech in Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter? Um, between Mortal Kombat and Tekken for me, I think. I always remember, was Tekken 3 PS1? Tekken 2? Tekken was P- yeah, Tekken PS1 and Tekken 2 PS1, 2. And two, I think, yeah, PS2. Yeah, Tekken 2, maybe, I think. I can King always remember. King, uh, King was my favourite character in Tekken 2. Eddie Gordo was the Eddie man. Eddie Gordo, yeah, fucking hell. He was just so, he had everything. So, Tekken then, is for you. Um, <laughs> best book you've ever read? Oh, um, best book I've ever read. I read... Tony Robbins book recently I thought it was really good what was what, what was uh, that the Awaken the Jam Within yeah yeah it's very really good. good I read that on cassette in about fucking 2000 that's how long was it like a cassette yeah. yeah it's old but it was great really yeah. really good and finally it doesn't matter of genre of uh, what's your what is the favourite your favourite film favourite film Talladega Nights great film great Unreal. film and Indeed. final question for any sort of wrestling fan or combat sports fan. Yeah. You have YouTube open. What's your go-to match? Um, probably Taker Sean, Mania 25. Always an easy one to watch. Like, mm-hmm. So, so good. Did you see that uh, it was on the Jericho podcast? This is going back a few months. They broke that down with the referee of the match. Oh, wow. No, I they haven't watched the match together. And they took like an hour of dissection, dissecting this whole match. It was superb. Absolutely uh, wonderful. Yeah. I'll so have to check that out. That's brilliant. Really, really good. A great insight into it. Fucker, listen, thank you so much for your time. Um, stay on. Uh, what I'll do, I'll stop the report, but I'll keep you online. Um, but thank you very much for your time. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure for me to talk to you. A pleasure for us to have you on. Um, you, the stuff you were able to compete in the ring is, is phenomenal as I said you're, you can basically do it all you have that British strong style you can also high fly you can you, you, you look incredibly creative in, in any of the matches that I've seen as I said I've watched some of your stuff today so outstanding performer thank you very very much for taking Appreciate it. to our day um, folks before I go um, go back and give some of the other episodes I mentioned Rico Bonbon Frank Award BKB Champ as the last guy we had on also had a superb mixed martial arts with Ali McLean, have Stephanie McCluskey on as well. Um, well, uh, Smudger Smith, all these guys and girls that are on the show. So please go back in the back catalog and watch on YouTube. So, and to find us on the socials, which is definitely a thing, no matter what Phil says, socials is actually a thing. You can look up for Not Another Fightcast on YouTube, at Not Another Fightcast on Instagram, and at Not Another Fightcast on Facebook. If you want to follow me, uh, it's on, at the underscore icon on Icon 77 on Instagram so it's just basically boxing videos pictures of my dog and some recent mountain bike stuff it's not really all that interesting but also do go and give Not Another Fight Cast a follow please also go and follow my co-host as I said at the start of the show Mr. PC underscore commentary who is producing some fucking comedy gold at the minute of uh, some entertaining fights it's the most adorable little dog my little dog's sleeping in behind me here so listen folks thank you very much 
We have been Not Another Fight Cast. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to listen or watch the show. Thank you again. Please go and give us a like, subscribe, and a share. Thank <laughs> you.